there's some unpleasant truths that we don't want to acknowledge. Those unpleasant truths are some ideas are better than others. Some people are smarter than others. You like to just sort of say, hey, if you work hard, you're going to succeed. And by and large, hard work does correlate with success. Do you know what correlates even more with success? Making the right decisions. So Chris, uh, welcome uh, to week one. I'm excited. I'm telling you, this is going to be a great sequence within the Blitzscaling Yourself podcast. I think people are getting excited about following your journey, Julian. So you have a very specific prescription as to where people should start when thinking yes. about a business. Your prescription is start with the customers. Why should you start with the customers and their problems? So this is really interesting because I hadn't realized my full reasoning until you began discussing it with me today in preparation for this episode. I should also note that almost no one takes me up on this advice. It's unfortunate, but nobody ever listens. So the reason I think it is so important to focus on the customer first is because the customer is the toughest filter. So if you think about a startup, it's a series of filters that an idea has to pass through in order to be successful. My friend Scott Johnson describes how one of his uh, mentors once described this as how many miracles have to occur in order for this business to be successful. And if you think about it, it's like at the end of the day, you have a funnel and with a set of filters and whatever order the filters go in, the same percentage will come out at the end. So, a hundred ideas go at the beginning and you filter down with a series of filters and there's going to be a total of three at the end that are successful and whatever order those filters are in that's what happens however if you have a filter that cuts it down from 100 ideas to 10 ideas right up front it's a lot better than that first filter just cutting out 20 ideas and you examine another 80 through another filter. They examine 65 through filter. They examine 50 through a filter. And only after you've done all this filtering of all these ideas, do you go to the last filter and you get down to three. That's horrifically inefficient. So much better to have that first filter be the tough one. And so you get down to 10 ideas right up front and it's a lot easier to concentrate your efforts from there. Now, the reason why the customer filter is the toughest filter is because the customer implies all these other things about the business, about the go-to-market strategy, about how you sell, about all these things that are probably some of the hardest things to change. Like if you start off thinking, I'm going to, I have this wonderful technology, I'm going to sell it to consumers. And then partway through you say, oh, no, that didn't work. I'm going to B2B. And this happens over and over and over in the startup world. Basically, all the marketers you have that are consumer marketers are now useless to you fire them, hire new people. We got to build a whole sales team because we had no salespeople before or vice versa. We started off B2B. No, actually it should be consumer. Again, you have to fire everybody and completely revamp the company and your chances of doing that successfully are very low. Pivoting on the customer in which you pivot other things other than the customer tends to be far more successful because more of the things stay the same. That's why it's the toughest filter. That's why it should be the filter you use up front. So on one hand, if you pick the wrong customer, uh, it's extremely costly to change who that customer yeah. is, uh, even for small things. So let's say if you're just doing B2B, but you go from like 100K CV deals to 30K CV deals or 50K CV deals, yeah. it actually changes like everything. Everything. Changes everything. 
And, um, but then also the customers are the most choosy. They're the ones who are most likely to not be compelled enough to change their behavior to um, do something, just buy, uh, that, that you need them to do. And is yes, that- Yes, and because... I think that's because, I think it's because they're the least vulnerable to charisma. So I am a very charismatic guy. And in my history as an entrepreneur, I generally found it fairly easy to convince employees to join me. I also found it relatively easy to convince investors to give me money. The hardest part was convincing customers to actually buy what I was selling. And, and on a recurring story, basis. On a recurring basis. So storytelling, all these things, getting people to make that one decision to invest money or take that job is a lot easier than getting people to, on a recurring basis, keep buying something that doesn't actually work for them. So that's why the customer is such a tough filter. Yeah, so like in theory, you know, you could go out on the street and convince anyone to buy a burger, but if you need them to buy a thousand burgers from you throughout their life, um, they're not going to do it unless they actually like unless the it's Unless it's a good burger, unless it's in and out. Yeah. So the starting point for you or in your mind is uh, a customer problem. Yeah. And you need to do you know, get, get really, really specific around the customer problem. And what you're doing is a dance between the various things, you know, that matter. So the customer problem, the solution to that problem, the mission, uh, and all that from the customer's perspective. And then again, like, how does that talk to you? Like, do you care about this yeah. problem? Do you care about this mission? Do, how do the other, um, you know, people who matter to you, how do, do they think about that? So, so tell me a bit about this dance. Tell me a bit about who are the other stakeholders beyond the customers who matter and why do they matter? Yeah, so let's talk about that. The most important stakeholder is you because you're starting off to create a company. You're going to be the only person who believes in it, the only person who works on it, the only person who makes things happen. And you're probably going to have to go through hell in order to get this company off the ground. So you better believe in it. And you better be something that you actually care about. Otherwise, you're not going to persist long enough to get to a breakthrough point. Most things are hard. And if it's something that you don't really fundamentally believe and want to do and have enthusiasm for, it's really difficult to stay disciplined long enough to actually make it happen. Now, the next step is you need to actually convince that first other person to come on board, that co-founder, right? Getting other co-founders, employees, people who work on it with you to become part of the team that's probably the next thing that you need to be able to do. And then after that, it is bring the investors on board. But you'll notice most people go in this following way because it just sort of seems it seems natural in terms of number of people. They start by convincing themselves of something. Then they convince potential co-founders or employees of something. Then they convince investors of something. And only then do they try to convince customers that this is something they should have. And that is exactly the opposite. If you start with the customer, and here's the thing you're looking for in the customer. You're looking for a customer type where it is a large enough market. That is both in terms of the number of customers as well as how much money those customers have to pay you, or in the case of an advertising driven business, how valuable those customers are to advertisers and other folks like that. 
And a big part of it is not just the, the size of the customer, it's how do you reach the customer? Is it relatively easy to reach them or is it relatively hard? If you define a set of customers that are totally fragmented and there's no way to reach them except one-on-one -on -one sales in person, that's not very helpful. You need a market where you can find a way to reach a lot of them at once. And finally, the really important thing is it has to be a customer that you actually like and care about. Because at the end of the day, we are human beings. We're driven by emotion. We want to help people that we like. If you don't like your customers, it's going to be a miserable time. You're going to be working, bleeding, sweating, and you're thinking, these ungrateful SOBs, why am I doing this for them? It's much better if you're like, wow, here are some people who I really admire, I really like, I want to make their lives better. And that will keep me going even when things are hard. And this really is a dance where there's, like, in a way you do want to start, you know, with the, the, the customer problem and work down. But, you know, it's not that linear. So, so there's this kind of like dance where you're like thinking about all these different things. And uh, one of the big challenges as you do that is that you're a human or I'm yeah. a human. Uh, yeah. in this case, and uh, it's really easy for me to get committed um, via, uh, you know, some cost fallacy to any potential idea that I might be researching. So if I do like 20 yeah. customer interviews about something, I, I can get overcommitted to the idea. And what are some of the tactics that you recommend people use to avoid um, getting overcommitted and avoid the sunk cost fallacy for themselves. There are a variety of things you could do, but there's one overarching thing, which is to make your thinking explicit. So far too often, we are content to just go on our quote unquote gut, right? And sort of hand wave and say, well, that's obvious. Is it? If you have to write it down and make it explicit, it'll be a lot harder to lie to yourself. So if you are saying, hey, here's my idea, here's the customer I'm going to serve, here's the product, here's the problem space, here's why I think it's valuable, and you make all that explicit. And then you also, as part of writing out what you believe, say, here are things that need to be true in order for this to occur. And here are signs that this is not actually true or that we're on the wrong path. And only by making all these things explicit are you going to actually say, okay, if we encounter disconfirmatory evidence, we're going to look at it. Because if you don't make it explicit, you encounter what should be disconfirmatory evidence, you just sort of squish it away in your mind and say, well, actually, that doesn't really count because of this, even if that's inconsistent with something you said elsewhere, because you're only thinking about things in the moment. If instead you have a log of the things that you believe, what needs to be true, whether or not these theses are proving true, and recognize that the market can always change on you, right? We went from, in the past 24 months, a market in which capital was free and interest rates were zero to a market in which capital was scarce and interest rates were 5% or more. Well, that's a huge change. And the assumptions that you made then, even if they were true then, may no longer be true now. And how do you think about time as a tool to avoid, to, to to be able to think in a clear manner. So yeah. um, like if you are trying to get, like if you're, you're working all the time on your business yeah. idea, I feel as if it might be easier to get overcommitted to it. While if you, yes. you know, give yourself like a month and you're kind of doing this while doing other things, 
it frees you up to be more self-critical? Like, is that a thing or how would you think about that? I would agree with that. I think that if you are trying a variety of things at once, you're less likely to overcommit too quickly just because it's in front of you. I think that the other element of it is it doesn't even necessarily have to be a huge amount of elapsed time. It just needs to be some time set aside to explicitly look at the assumptions, the evidence, and all those different things to work on the business, as they like to say, as opposed to in the business. And I think you can have that discipline by just blocking it out on your calendar, maybe having a regular review. I often tell people you should go ahead and, and review your core assumptions at least once a quarter, if not more often. And here, you know, I'm at, you know, week one of my business. And what we're talking about doing is strategy, uh, I guess, or, and brainstorming and yeah. uh, creating a business plan and doing customer interviews and research and thought. And what's we're not talking about doing at all is shipping and um you know building and selling and all the stuff that i i i feel is what at least i had understood were the best practices for entrepreneurs um like how, how should like is that right like is it right that you should be thinking instead of doing uh at you know at first absolutely because thinking is a lot faster and cheaper than doing. The reason we have all this, what they call it, hustle porn or what have you, is there's some unpleasant truths that we don't want to acknowledge. And those unpleasant truths are some ideas are better than others. Some people are smarter than others. And we like to just sort of say, hey, if you work hard, then you're going to succeed. And by and large, hard work does correlate with success. But do you know what correlates even more with success? making the right decisions. And it is unpleasant to think that because then it's our own fault. We chose wrongly or we're just not smart enough, which could happen, not to you or I, but to some other people. And that's unpleasant to contemplate as well. But we should not sort of say we're going to base our decision on how to spend the next five years on our lives on what makes us feel comfortable in the moment we should make that decision based on what is going to have the kind of impact that we want to achieve. And you know, I've come to think about this as the kind of like zero to one, um, you know, uh, method um, is I think that's the most famous startup book uh, that, that's really about thoughtfulness in many ways yeah. versus the lean startup startup method, which is much more about execution and um you know you know the the author of uh, of the lean startup and and you're yes. you know proponent of it as a uh, a, as a method what is the like is it just that it's not the right approach at the very early stages of startup foundation well i think that the reason is as is often the case with authors and i know this myself you can't control how people choose to interpret your work once you put it out there so Eric Reese, a wonderful guy who I've known since before he wrote The Lean Startup, wrote this because he said, hey, you know, people do not do enough of customer development, going out there and seeing what happens. But he didn't write, it doesn't matter what problem you choose, as long as you do customer development, it's going to work. 
It's just he was focused on one particular area. The fact that customer development helps you succeed does not mean it is the only factor. It is necessary and sufficient for success. It's necessary, but not sufficient. You still have to upstream of lean startup, pick the right problem. Well, Chris, thank you um, for this input on uh, week one of my uh, startup journey. What we're going to do uh, next week, we're not talking, but we'll uh, talk the following week. So it'll be week three. And uh, I guess, you know, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for, uh, you know, the people who joined our live stream, for everyone who's listening, and uh, to our team, Jeremy, Shlok, and Joe, who uh, make all this happen. Yes, and thank you. Julian, as always, for making me think, because I think that one of the best things about this whole process is while I may have what I hope are good insights and wisdom in my brain, the fact that you are helping me challenge those thoughts and actually make them explicit so that other people can benefit from them is one of the things that makes this process and this particular podcast so special.